Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we're going to talk some USC football with Keely Yor of USCfootball.com. She's breaking a little news on the USC Trojan team about COVID-19 concerns and practice being canceled. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about the Utah game, talk about the initial college football rankings, all of that and more. If you have any questions or comments for the show, you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com or call or text us at 424 424- Two five four nine one four one. Please on Apple Podcast, you can download the show and subscribe to the show, but also leave us a five star rating and positive review. That really does help grow the show, and we appreciate you doing that. And we're going to welcome in Keely Yor, and maybe we got a couple reviews. I don't know, I haven't looked, but Keely, how are you doing today? Hello, hello, Ryan. It has been an interesting day, a newsy day, a somber day for USC in that sense, and I'm sure we'll get into it. But we do have one new review, Mr. Abraham. All right, what do we got? Uh, it is a five-star review from Scott MG Fan, who says, uh, five stars keeps you listening. And he says, started listening about a year ago when USC was playing Utah and find myself still listening. I think it's because Ryan, Keeley, Shotgun, and Dan have warm personalities and their humor and work ethic makes them interesting. If they can keep me engaged into listening to a team I loathe each week, they must be doing something right. Well, thank you. So it's a Utah <laughs> fan. Thanks for I the five that. stars. It, it is, you know, that's some of the more satisfying ones when we get uh, messages from people that are like Notre Dame fans or Utah fans or whatever. Like that's that's cool stuff. I like that. Yeah, no, it's great. I know we have some of those on Tunnel Vision too. We have like a resident UCLA fan and a resident Notre Dame fan. So cool things. And they're regular like contributors and calling in and, and stuff. Yep. So it's pretty funny uh, when we do that. Um, well, before we we got some like Keely said, we got some newsy stuff we have to get to. Before we do, just want to thank. Our sponsor, Trader Joe's, it's Thanksgiving week, guys. It's just, you know, you got to get wow. your turkey. You got to get all the good stuff. It's, this is one of my favorite holidays. Are you are you a big Thanksgiving person, Keely? I think I've covered it on the pod before. I'm take it or leave it. I like it if there's like a lot of people around, but obviously that's not a thing this this year. So I, I'm, I'm about the food, but it's not my favorite holiday. How about that? Yeah, it's I don't know. I just love I love the stuffing, the mashed potatoes and all that stuff like carbs up the wazoo. Uh, but you need something green on your table. So I, you know, I tried to go something green looking at the Trader Joe's website. Look at you. Well yeah. done. They look pretty cool. So I like green beans, a sweet and spicy green bean dish. And it's really simple. It takes five minutes to make and it looks really good. Um, so, you know, you can take your green beans, but also some lemon, a little bit of olive oil. And the main ingredient is going to be t- Trader Joe's organic sweet and spicy mustard sauce, uh, which is a seasonal item over at Trader Joe's. And then you got these. Uh, sliced al- almonds on it from uh, Trader Joe's. You put it all together, and it's a really pretty dish. Uh, you know, it's obviously healthier, and you got the little sweet and a little spicy from the uh, mustard sauce uh, on top of uh, the green beans. So it's a real simple one: three minutes to cook, five minutes to prep, and you have this pretty green dish if you want to go along with your turkey and your mashed potatoes and all that other good stuff. Wow, that sounds great! Very yeah, think, nice uh, selling of it, Ryan. I think I might do that. I think I'm going to try to do something like that. So I. I like something green on there, but my main deal is obviously, you know, turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes. I just, you know, I pile corn on there. I, I just want to eat it all. <laughs> I'm excited already. It's Tuesday. I want to eat my turkey on, uh, on, on Thursday, but hopefully everyone has a great Thanksgiving, a safe holiday. Please yeah. stay safe. And, uh, yeah. And if you go, make sure you check out Trader Joe's and, you know, if you see someone there, tell them the uscfootball.com sent you. Tell them the Peristyle podcast. Say, hey, you should, we should go to Trader Joe's. So maybe you'll bump into one of the people we know. Sure. Um, well, we got some uh, breaking news uh, as far as USC goes. This is, a, I believe, the first time this season, Keely, that the Trojans got a COVID-positive test for a football player. Yeah, they were doing really well, and that's something that we had been commending them for, and we kind of jinxed them. I think we talked about it on, on television Sunday night, but uh, USC was doing really well as far as the whole athletic department, but especially its football team. Um, but Clay Helton started 
the Tuesday press conference by saying that they had a, a one football player test positive for COVID-19 on Monday. The player did travel to Utah. Uh, he tested negative up until the, the point, uh, up until the game, test negative on game day, but then test positive on Monday. Um, so USC has kind of been trying to figure things out uh, basically all Tuesday. So what they did is they moved all their activities online. They closed all their facilities, basically went all virtual. Um, they essentially canceled practice on Tuesday. They're doing things virtually. So they'll have like a quote unquote virtual practice where they're still installing game plans and going over things. But, uh, they did do another round of PCR testing midday on Tuesday. They're basically getting everyone all haunted all hands on deck to get the test results by Tuesday night, hopefully so that they can go from there and know what kind of the landscape of the roster looks like COVID wise and just contract contact tracing. So hopefully if USC can get the results quickly, they can make a determination as to what they need to do for isolating and for practice for the rest of the week. Obviously the concern Ryan is if there is a, a larger number than they think, they have to do large contact tracing and, and have players isolate. That obviously puts the Colorado game in jeopardy. Um, and so definitely USC is, is there's a lot of caution right now. There's a lot of uh, uh, concern, if you will, just trying to get everything under control. Um, so it's, it's sad for USC, obviously, because they've been doing so well. And obviously we wish uh, the player a speedy and healthy recovery from COVID-19. Yeah, because uh, Clayhill did say it was symptomatic, so hopefully he recovers. Yeah. It's not going to be too bad of a case. Uh, this is coming on um, the heels. We, so we heard about that. And then um, just you know, before we started recording the show, the Pac-12 announced that Utah at Arizona State, uh, that game, and I got a drop for you, Keely. COVID canceled. So that was canceled for COVID <laughs> concerns. You already have the 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 Apple Cup, uh, Washington, Washington State. It was also COVID canceled. And now this is from our podcast of champions. We, uh, we, we needed a drop for that because there's so many games that get canceled in the Pac-12 when we're going, going over them. <laughs> um, so now you have to worry that USC's game against Colorado and then potentially the game against Washington State uh, yep. would be canceled. As of this moment, USC is one of two programs that hasn't had their schedule disrupted at all by COVID-19, Oregon State and USC. Oregon's played all their games. They just had one game moved from a Friday to a Saturday. So minor. Um, you know, UCLA's played three games, but they had one game that was an impromptu one between, uh, you know, they had their game canceled against Arizona State and they got to play against Cal. Um, so I think it was Arizona State. Maybe it was Utah. I forget which one it was. But um, so the, the non-disruptive schedule for USC has been a blessing. And uh, Clay Helton has talked about how lucky, you know, they feel fortunate to be able to play. Now that could come uh, to an end. So we'll see. Um, you're going to cross your fingers and hope. But as what Clay Helton said, Keely, and correct me if I'm wrong, is there were three tests around the game, and that player was negative in all three of those tests. Um, flew back because it was early Sunday morning, you know, 1 a.m. or whatever it was when they got on the plane. And that player wasn't around the facility or around other players um, on Sunday or Monday. But on Monday that player did test positive. So, you know, how does the contact tracing work? And I always want to say contract too. Like it's, it's I think, yeah, it's, that. it's such a bad habit. <laughs> yeah. But the, how does it work? If, you know, they were on the plane, they were on a bus, um, you have to be, you know, uh, around these people for longer than 15 minutes. Um, is it going to be the position group? Is it going to be the people he was around during travel? And I, you know, to me, travel's the biggest risk and you've had to travel two weeks in a row and uh seems like almost got through it Keely and then just couldn't quite finish it you know that last that last road trip maybe is what got him yeah it just it seemed like everyone was like oh USC is in the clear maybe and then you come into the press conference on Tuesday and you're like oh man it happened to them too and so you're correct Ryan uh Helton did say that the player tested negative three times within 36 hours of travel and again on game day. Um, so then on Monday, I what I gather is that the player was symptomatic on Monday, and so that's what kind of caused the, the chain reaction. And so according to L.A. County, a person is considered infectious two days before their symptoms first appeared, and we're assuming the symptoms appeared on uh, 
Monday. Now, if the player didn't do anything Sunday or Monday, you could maybe guess Sunday as well. Not sure there. Speculating, obviously. Uh, but per LA County, a close contact contact is someone who was within six feet of the infected person for a total of 15 minutes or more over tw- a 24-hour period. So, obviously, that does not bode well for USC, considering traveling you're with everyone in that plane in the bus for such a long time and obviously they're wearing masks they're spread out they're doing as much as they can but contact is probably happening and it's inevitable especially when you're playing football so and i'm not sure if we said this yet on the podcast but chris Trevino and i uh did report on the parastyle today that it is a uh starter that it did test positive on monday so obviously that starter uh had contact with other players so this is just not a good situation for usc and that's why they're they're obviously taking extreme measures to make sure that everyone's safe and that they're doing the right protocols by not only their own standards but la county standards as well so um you know usc has done such a great job so far you can only expect them to continue to do so even with this obstacle yeah and if i mean i know there's been comparisons made ucla uh you know they had I believe it was one player test positive and they were able to go and, and go on the road and play Oregon, you know, without their, their, their starting quarterback was, was out uh, for that game. Um, we saw Cal do the same, uh, but we also saw Cal get a game canceled because of um, contact tracing uh, really one player that was asymptomatic and the city of Berkeley basically wouldn't let him play. Um, so that was, you know, it just depends on the local rules and regulations LA County is obviously shutting a lot of things down right now so that's not going to bode well for USC um, but if if the plane and all those buses and stuff are involved with travel for contact tracing yeah Keel, I could see why some people are going to be majorly concerned because I think those are ones that are hard to get out of if it's a you know you catch it before the guy's gone to practice during the week or something um, you know he's isolated and and maybe the contact is going to be minimum but when you're talking about a travel weekend and you have 75 people going to the game or whatever it is, there's probably going to be a lot of contact with, with people. And, you know, I, we've said a lot, we haven't seen any data really about, you know, Hey, when you're on the field playing another team, that's where you're at some kind of risk. It's really just, you know, you're traveling together, you're in a room together, all that. That's where it seems to be the biggest risk. Yeah. And, and I would assume just based on the fact that USC didn't, it seemed like USC didn't have any con any consequences by playing ASU and ASU is still having a a massive outbreak on their hands, but I don't think it stemmed from ASU either. So I don't think it is necessarily a, you played someone type of thing. I think it's just community spread infiltrating the the football team in that sense. Cause you're not in a bubble, obviously. Yeah. There's no bubble there. Um, This is interesting from, uh, so Chris Cartman covers uh, Arizona state. And he said that Arizona State has not had additional COVID-19 cases with any players in the two deep since the week after it played USC. I'm told the Utah cancellation is due to the uncertainty oh. yeah, of key players who did test positive two weeks ago, getting heart tests that clear them before this weekend. Um, that is really interesting because we haven't heard much about the myocarditis stuff that it seemed like that was a study that people were worried about early on and then kind of just went away that hasn't really been a concern since then. Yeah. Um, so I wonder how that's popping back into things. Yeah, no, I mean, sorry, I said the O right as you're reading it because I saw your retweet <laughs> and read oh. it faster. But yeah, no, that <laughs> that that is uh, an interesting uh, predicament. And now I wonder if that will impact USC as well as far as the player that tested positive and, and other other people. Yeah, that's an interesting wrinkle, Ryan. Yeah. So we'll see what's going on there. Um, but yeah, the, you feel like the, the seal has been broken, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> you're at that party. You've maybe had a few beers, Keely. I know you like drinking your beers and you're like, you just don't want to go to the bathroom. Once you do now the seal's broken and it's like, uh Oh, do the floodgates open? I guess. I don't know. We're, we're hopefully this is isolated, right? We hopefully this is isolated incident, but, uh, we should know soon. That's, that's the thing. Any sense of, when USC would know, like how long does it take to do the the tracing and, and can you know, because we've seen games get canceled in the past where it happens later in the week, Thursday, Friday, games get canceled. But then for the following week, 
they've already done the contact tracing and they know, okay, these guys are all still going to be out for the next weekend. So we can just cancel it right away. So that's like the, the apple cup was done that way. Yeah. Um, so it's that first cancellation where it's like, usually takes a little longer. Do you think if there is a cancellation, it's not going to happen until Thursday, Friday, or what, what do you think? Well, I think that it definitely will be later in the week just because they are going through their, like I said, they're doing, they already did their PC at PCR test right now. They're hoping they can get it by Tuesday night. If they don't, that will bleed into Wednesday. And I think from there you have to go into, okay, who is, are there one, are there more positives than you thought Two, who had contact with all those positives? And then three, what does the roster look like after you take away all those individuals I just mentioned, you know? And so you have to go through kind of all that process. And I know just from USC having positives beforehand, that process is, it takes a bit, but I also know that they work very fast because you have to try and limit the spread as fast as possible once you know. Um, So, I mean, Especially the other thing too, Ryan, is LA County is getting more and more strict by the day, just in general, let alone with football. And then you have California itself having a a curfew now. Um, If if you saw today, the Wazoo game that USC is scheduled to play next week got moved up. It was originally scheduled for 6.30. Now it's scheduled for 6. And that was due to curfew issues. Uh, So... It just doesn't bode well, given the fact that LA County, California is getting stricter and we don't, USC doesn't really have a sense right now of how big this spread potentially could be. So if it were to be canceled, it would definitely be kind of in the next couple of days rather than you wouldn't see it tonight or I I don't think it would happen as soon as Wednesday, but you know, you never know with these things. Yeah. So they got to get more data, more, obviously, you know, you do the the PCR tests, which are, um, I don't want to say more accurate, but they're more sensitive. Um, and they usually take a little longer. Um, so those are ones that you have to do for a lab. And, you know, there might be some people that didn't test positive with the antigen test, but they do with the PCR test. So you need to know that, like all that data point, you know, you need that data point and then also, you know, running all the contact tracing stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a process, but we'll see maybe by, you know, Wednesday or Thursday. I mean, I would assume by Thursday, we would know a little bit more by Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh. Oof, what a, what a mess. So it was mm-hmm. just sort of like you're crossing your fingers, um, <laughs> every day. And, uh, that was, you know, on the, the call this morning with, with Clay Helton, like when you start with that, you thought it was going to be like an injury or something, but it was like, Oh, okay. So now it just sort of changed everything. Like as soon as you say that one player tested positive, you're like, uh Oh, you know, uh, yeah. this, this could be a problem. Yeah, once you went into I'm reading a prepared statement mode, I was like, all my ears were up. I was like, what is going on? What is happening? And then you were like, oh, you know, it's just it's just sad because, you know, they were they were trying so hard to to bat a thousand and they were doing good three weeks in. And so uh, you just feel bad for the players and obviously the sick player. You hate to see that. So hopefully this isn't as big as it it may be it could be and hopefully it's not an asu type of thing but i will say that usc does seem uh obviously stressed about this and a little concerned that it could uh, affect not only colorado but also wazoo so just stay tuned because it's it's evolving that's yeah. basically oh, the bottom line i know it's uh, yep. a little crazy all right well let's see um <laughs> what we outside of that not great news uh we also had some other things to talk about the college football playoff. Uh, yeah. The, we were, as we were starting to record this, they came out with their rankings. Um, I saw someone tweet COVID-19 was ranked number one, but it was really Alabama. Um, and you, you could just a general sense. Um, USC came in at number 18 and Oregon came in at number 15. No Washington, no Colorado. Essentially, the Pac-12 was punished fairly severely for only starting their season on November 7th. There is virtually no way that a college that, that USC or Oregon are going to make the college football playoff. If they go undefeated, uh, there's just too much, you know, too much to overcome. And there's just not opportunities to play ranked teams. That's something that the committee, uh, takes seriously, you know, beating ranked teams. When you lop off your schedule, you lop it in half. There's just not going to be those kind of opportunities. Uh, people that were saying, it's better that USC and Oregon go undefeated and play each other in the championship game to give yourself the best shot. 
now somehow coming back and saying well, you needed Oregon and USC to play each other, so they would at least have a top ten, you know, twenty five win over the, uh, you know, over someone. Because uh, right now they don't have a win. No, no one has a good win really in the Pac twelve. And and honestly, Oregon and USC haven't looked impressive when they were winning. Washington probably looked the most impressive, but they've only had two games. They weren't even in the ranking. So, um, you know, a team like USC, you know, they can move up and stuff, but it's just not going to, you know, going seven and zero, starting from number eighteen. There's just no way to get above uh, you know, some of these other teams that you know you're below teams with two losses uh, in the ranking. So it's. I think the committee, you know, made it fairly clear they didn't give BYU much of a boost. Um, you know, they're outside of the top ten too. Uh, they because they haven't really played anybody, so it, it's sort of one of those things where they're just looking at it like it's a normal year, and you know, you're punished because you've only played three games. <laughs> so there's they're not like saying, well, in the Pac-12, Oregon's really good or USC's really good, and so we would put them, you know, at this at this ranking or that ranking, but that's, that's not the way they've been doing it. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, but you know, the teams up there who we thought you're going to be up there, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio state. And even Ohio state is behind a one loss Clemson team. Um, cause they played fewer games and they, you know, they haven't had the opportunities. You, you look at Ohio state, you're like, that's a really good team, but they still don't have the kind of, you know, any kind of quality wins that you would want or as many quality wins, like they just beat Indiana last weekend. But um, so the committee is basically like, yeah, if you didn't start right away, we're going to punish you. So, uh, and that's what they did. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't really surprising. And then looking specifically at USC, once you saw how they played against Arizona, I think it was pretty clear that the college football playoff uh, was not really the the goal anymore. And then uh, now that it's in doubt that USC can even get seven games in the season, it just, you know, this is kind of, you, you know where this is going. And so 18 is good for USC and we'll see how the rest of the season goes, I guess. USC did tweet out like a, a graphic number 18. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's just sort of like, wah, wah. Like it's, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. it really hurt that like, if you, if Oregon was like number 10, that would have been all right. Like at least, you know, they're in striking distance and then you have an opportunity to beat a team like that. But, um, you know, on, on the heels of like the COVID positive test and all that, it's uh yeah, it's sort of just like a, it's what we thought. The Pac-12 is really yeah. not going to be a factor, and they they made it pretty clear um that the Pac-12 is not going to be a factor this year. Yeah, you you needed everything to go right, and clearly it hasn't. And then with what we just learned today from USC, it's just not going to go. I don't think as planned. So you know, it's just what you said, Ryan. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's see. So we had uh, that news. There was a game uh, just a few days ago. <laughs> Keila, do you remember really? that game? Kind of. Yes, maybe. <laughs> yeah. USC beat Utah 33-17. I went on uh, the Pac-12 Sirius Satellite Radio this morning and, you know, talk about the game a little bit. And, you know, in general, it's like you get a 16-point win on the road against a team that's you haven't beaten Salt Lake City for a long time. And they've won the division the last two years. I the more you think about it, it's like, yeah, did Utah look great? No. Uh, are they going to be better after, you know, playing their first game? Yeah, I think that's my theory of, like, you, you got this opener after missing games for COVID. You're not going to look great. And they didn't. No excuses. I think that's a good thing for, for USC to to get that win. Uh, especially now, just now, just get any win you can get, knowing that the game could get canceled at any time is yeah. positive. But, uh, you know, I get it where people are unhappy that the run game didn't look good. Uh, Keaton Slovis wasn't as sharp as we've seen him before, but you saw a better defense. You saw pretty good special teams. I think overall it's like, okay, it's not bad. Step in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those games where you're not necessarily mad by it. If you're a USC fan, but you're not necessarily excited by it. You know, it's, it's not the Utah team that we all know. This is definitely a team that was playing its first game. And so there was definitely some rust Five turnovers, of course, it's not going to be, that's not a great showing. Uh, so you like that USC was able to go and, and break the the Rice-Eccles curse, if you will. But it, it just wasn't a very impressive U- Utah team. We've seen better Utah teams. So you take care of business, you get the win. Obviously, you get another notch in the Pac-12 South. But it it to me, Ryan, it kind of feels like you're driving a car and your warning lights on you can you can keep driving but like eventually the warning light is on you know and there's some warning lights as in 
Uh, Keen Slovis just doesn't look very confident right now. USC's right side of the offensive line is shaky. You know, linebackers look better, but is the depth an issue now? You know, so there, there are warning lines on the dashboard, but USC continues to drive. And so whether or not they'll stop to get a, a oil change is TBD right now. Yeah, and th- this would have been a, a good test, uh, this Colorado team, because they do have a, uh, a mobile quarterback, and we've seen USC struggle with that a little bit. Uh, they got some studs on the defensive side of the ball. They didn't really lose that much. And even though you got a new coach with Carl Durrell, um, he kept a bunch of the staff together. There was some continuity there, and I think that's part of the reason why they've been as uh, you know good as they have been. I thought they'd be a bad team this year, and they've really impressed me um, from from what I've seen. So. It'll be interesting going into to this one, but you know you got some momentum coming off the the Utah win. The defense, I think, played better. I just like seeing the linebackers be at the top of the the, the chart as far as tackles go, because that wasn't the case for the first couple of games. Uh, to see those guys yeah. be as active as they were, and right now, you know, Paulier no Tote, obviously USC's not practicing today, or not practicing on the field today. He's still out with concussion protocol. And then Raylan Goforth had the the foot, you know, the plantar fasciitis. He had the foot issue. Um, yeah, so you're going to see more Raymond Scott probably at linebacker. But that's I think that's a concern where you finally get the linebackers playing well and now your two starters are potentially out. Yeah, because you at least had some you, – you have continuity issues at this point because you saw flashes and, and Kanai Malga and, uh, and Raylan Goforth played well. And I think they graded out pretty well by PFF. And so you want to build on that. You know, the question would have been like, okay, how do you work in EA? Do you work in EA given what you saw? But now it seems like EA is still in concussion protocol, TBD for Colorado. Um, And then Raylan, now that he's TBD as well, what do you see from Raymond Scott? And does that hurt USC? Because now you have another linebacker coming in and trying to get uh, uh, chemistry with Malga, you know? So it's hard just because you, you... that was a, a performance you want to build on. And now you have just a, a really depleted uh, inside linebacker unit. And you're really looking at Kanai Malka and Raymond Scott. And I think there's one more behind him, Ryan, but like, it's a very, very thin unit right now. Yeah, it's uh it's thin. Um, and you finally get them playing the kind of way you want. And maybe that's some of just what Todd Orlando wanted to see from those guys. And I, I, I it was good because we heard from Todd Orlando after the Arizona game. I mean, he talked about making it right, fixing it. It's just one of those things where you come in with a game plan. You're like, here's what I want you guys to do. And you see two games and they're not doing it. And you're like, all right, I need to tell them something different because they're not, you know, that's the <laughs> feeling I got from it. Like, okay, we got to make this simpler or whatever we're going to do. I want you guys flying around to the football. And I saw a lot more of that uh, against Utah. So, Kudos to, to Todd Orlando for seeing there was something wrong. It wasn't going the way he wanted it to go. It happened twice in a row. So now he's got to look at what he's doing to get these guys ready. And I, it seems like either they understood it better or he changed something up and they were playing more like he wanted them to play. Yeah. And I, I feel like USC fans at this point are just exhausted about like, hey, we'll we'll make improvements. Like that's something where you they hear that and they're just like, oh, no, it should be now. And I get that. But I think for Todd Orlando, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt. One, because he didn't have a spring to install anything. Two, they had a really quick turnaround from training camp to practice or training camp to games. And Orlando had. Orlando has said as much. And so at least you're seeing adjustments. I think we've seen adjustments from Orlando, not only uh, from practice to game day, but also in game. Uh, You've seen him in the Arizona game after halftime, Raymond Scott comes out and is a spy for Grant Gunnell, you know, so you've seen adjustments, you've seen improvements. And I think that's what you, you would like to see as a USC fan. There are at least things changing and it looks like things are improving. Whereas I think in past years, Fans haven't really seen that from certain position groups or coordinators. So I think you still have to reserve judgment if you're going to judge Orlando because it seems like things are at least trending in the right direction. Because I liked they played aggressive. There was at least a, a swagger and an attitude with how they played against Utah. I feel like it, the tone was really set from the beginning and then it just followed out. So, I mean, it seems like it's it's trending in the right direction in that sense. It does. Um, I hope we get to see it again this weekend. So it's like, wah, wah. Um, well, we yeah. got some. Yeah, it's just it's just such a bummer. Or just like, and to be preview clear, the game, but is it going to yeah. happen? I don't know. You know. 
Yeah, to be clear, nothing is canceled. I know we talk, we've talked about it so far like it is. It, it's Nothing has been officially canceled. We're just bracing ourselves for what could likely come given contact tracing in L.A. County. So yeah. just wanted to clear that up. <laughs> right, for sure. I mean, we're, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where, like, you, you could potentially have bad news, you know. Um, yeah. What we say, like, the check engine light is on, and you're like, uh-oh. Like, it might be nothing. Like, or it could be something big. Uh, all right. Let's uh, take a quick break and we'll come back and get into questions. Back in a minute. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle podcast. Keely, I know we got a bunch of questions in there. We got one voicemail too. I'll play that maybe a little bit later, but what, uh, what do we got first up for uh, questions? Let's start off with uh, our buddy, Sergeant Rodney Strong, who said, hello, gang. Uh, gang, I just watched College Game Day, and the Game Day crew was giving their predictions on the USC-Utah game and almost unanimous, unanimously picked Utah and stated that they have faith in the brand of Utah and Kyle Whittingham over the USC brand with Clay Hilton. It made me realize just how far our program has fallen, and for someone like myself who has invested a lot of time and money into the program, it is sad to listen to and very disappointing. What are your takes? Thanks, and fight on, I guess, Sergeant Rodney Strong. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought USC was going to win this game just because of, uh, I get the brand aspect of it. Um, if there, is there going to be a coach that can prepare a team uh, well? It's Kyle Whittingham. He's been the head coach there for 16 years, but we just... You know, knowing what Cal was looking like in their first uh, game and, and their well-coached team, uh, I thought we'd see the same sort of thing um, from Utah. I wouldn't put too much stock, uh, Sergeant Strong, into what uh, the game day crew is saying. Like, you know, those are guys that are trying to cover a zillion things and they're just going to give your opinions on stuff. And we're talking about you're picking a game of a team you haven't seen yet. You know, that's 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 what makes this one uh, difficult. But. Um, I think we, we nailed it when we were talking about this game. So just listen to us. You don't need to, no, you don't need to listen to game day crew when it's talk about USC stuff. <laughs> well done, Ryan. Just yeah. ending it with a plug, plug for us. Yeah. Uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum, we have an email from Curtis from Marina Valley who says, in this crazy 2020 season, Penn State is 0-4, Oklahoma has two losses, LSU has two losses, and BYU and Cincinnati are undefeated. 
Here we are, Trojan fans, complaining about how our undefeated 2-0, or now 3-0, team plays so poorly. Pete Arbogast said this team reminded him of the Cardiac Kids USC team. Uh, wonder if the fans criticize that team the way we criticize this one. A win is a win. We should appreciate them more. Curtis from Marina Valley. Hey, Curtis. Penn State's now 0-5, by the way. So, um, yeah, that's a that's a problem. So here's the deal. And this is why we're, we're talking about this stuff. I did hear Pete Arbogast talking about those cardiac kids teams um, after this was after the Arizona game. Um, you know, a lot of those wins, you have to go back and, and research them. If it's a, you know, you're, you're come from behind win against like a really good team. That's one thing. Arizona, I do not believe is a very good team. And we saw Washington just handle their business the following week where USC needed a fourth quarter comeback again uh, to get the win. But if you want to say a win is a win, that's fine. Uh, in a normal year, maybe. Um, this was a year where I think you knew the stakes going into it that you're going to be at a disadvantage as far as potentially making the playoff. And every season you want to go into it, Clay Helton talks about winning championships. Well, you want to win a national championship, you have to make the college football playoff. To do that in a pandemic gear with the Pac-12 starting on November 7th, you had to be really impressive out of the gate. And I think it, it looks like whatever USC did would probably not have uh, been, you know, probably wouldn't have worked anyway, just the way the committee kind of reacted. But we won't know. Oregon hasn't really been impressive in their wins. Uh, I mean, they, they, they covered the spread in two, but they, uh, you know, had to come from behind against UCLA, um, you know, last week. They, you know, they just haven't like blown people out like you thought. Uh, you know, Washington State had a lead on them early. Stanford and, and Oregon were close early before Oregon pulled away. But in USC, obviously, two fourth quarter wins and then a, a 16 point win with you know no touchdowns in the second half against Utah, it's not been impressive. So you can say a win is a win, but at the end of the day, now USC's ranked 18th in the college football playoff. Um, that's not gonna do. That's not gonna get it done. So you're three and zero, and if we're going to be complaining about how they look and you're going to say, well, you shouldn't complain. They're, they're undefeated. Fine. But the national media, like the people that, you know, uh, Sergeant strong, we're talking about on college game day, the college football playoff committee, people that matter that you need to look good for haven't been impressed with USC. So you can say a win is a win if you want to live in like a little bubble, but if you want to be a nationally relevant college football power, you have to blow some teams out that you should blow out and you should have blown out Arizona and you didn't, um, you know, I'll give you Arizona state just cause it's the first game of the season, but that, that, that Arizona game, there was, you know, legit criticism. And I think they've addressed some of that in, in the Utah game. So kudos to USC for doing that. But I, I don't think you can take that a win is a win and then just lock yourself in a closet and just say, well, we're three and oh, everything's great. Um, you know, you're, you want to be a nationally relevant college football program? You got to look like it. And so far, USC really hasn't looked like it. Yeah, exactly. And like fans are entitled to feeling the way they want to about their team completely. It, we're not here to tell you that. So if you want to say it's a win, it's a win. That's totally fine. It's just what you want out of this USC football program. If you want uh, national championships, if you want national relevancy, then, I mean, the eye test matters. These type of wins matter. And so that's the skill. That's how you should be grading these these games. But if you just want to watch football and have fun, then go ahead. You do you, you know? Yeah. So it, it really it just depends on what you want out of this football program as a fan. Yeah. Um, so we have an email from someone who I don't believe put their name. I apologize. Uh, they said... Uh, it's about Keen Slovis. They say, yes, Keen Slovis has been hesitant and inconsistent, but his insecurity is due in large part to the lack of a great game plan to attack the zone defenses that are designed to stop him. The lack of a really good run scheme with plays that have misdirection, outside speed, quick hitting instead of slow six-yard handoffs, and good zone blocking as well as play-action passing off a good running game is the problem. If the coaches know that zone defenses are going to be the rule, why are they still running five-yard crossing patterns and wide receiver screens? Why are the where are the deep sideline passes and 15 to 20 yard passes over the middle to soften up the box? Also, Liam Jimmins and Jalen McKenzie are, are weaker than the left side, so don't become predictable and continue to try and run left. Your thoughts about the lack of offensive run scheme? Question mark. So that was uh, this is our our buddy Dan from class of 1962. Oh so, well, there you go. Yeah, after you read it, like oh that makes sense. It sounds like a, <laughs> yeah. Um, it sounds like a Dan uh, question. So. 
Yeah, they had that one delayed handoff to Keaton Christian that worked for 47 yards. Uh, that was nice. The other ones really didn't work. And, uh, you know, outside of, if you look at the rushing totals for USC, I mean, 93 yards on 31 carries. Now, they're, you know, they lost 21 yards. Keaton Slovis lost 21 yards um, for sacks and stuff. But, you know, outside of that Christian run, you know, Vivei, Vivei Malpei, he had 62 yards on 20 attempts, uh, you know, 3.1 average. They weren't very effective um, running the football. And I think, I know Clay Helton talked about he wanted to run for 170 yards. And we asked, I asked him about the offensive line uh, on Sunday night. And he sort of alluded to the, yeah, the numbers didn't look great, but he liked the way the offensive line uh, was playing. Um, but, the, you know, the rushing numbers weren't there. That's something that they were trying to get to. They wanted to run for 170 yards because that's what Alabama and LSU did. Obviously, they didn't get there. But I don't think this offense has to do that. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a passing offense that will set up the run with the pass. And, you know, only 357 total yards in this game. The other games were more of like you get close to 500 yards or whatever, but you just failed in the red zone, red zone a little bit. Um, this one, they, there wasn't as many, uh, yards as we've seen in other, in other games. And, you know, part of it was, it wasn't a very effective, uh, running attack. I think they did some good stuff in short yardage. Um, they had that one big run, but man, you take away that big run. Uh, I mean, you got less than 50 yards rushing. So that's, uh, that's a, that's a bit of a problem. You know, out that, that Kristen run was, was pretty nice, but outside of that, it just wasn't a very effective run game. Yeah, but how much, Ryan, do you attribute that to also missing Stephen Carr and uh, Marquis Step, especially with those, those tough yards with, with Step out? Yeah, I think Step could have uh, done a little more. There was a lot of carries for Vavai that didn't go very far, and maybe those two-yard carries, yeah. Step turns into five-yard ones or something. Hard to say. But I like the way still, both yeah. those guys were playing. I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, no, no, I was disagreeing with you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. So there was, um, you know, the, both those guys looked good uh, in the first couple of games. I think it would have helped, but this is just it was a you you played the best defensive front you were going to play, and you know the offensive line hasn't been stellar, uh, and I think that's mm-hmm. what we saw. So I'm not sure the the, run, the rushing totals would have been a whole lot different. I mean, Vavai got a you know the bulk of those carries there and. Uh, we did see Kristen break one. You know, we didn't see Vavai yeah. really do that. I don't know if Carr would have or, or Step would have, but um, yeah. I mean, if those guys are in there, maybe Kristen doesn't even get that shot and he doesn't get his 47 yard or so. It's hard to say. No, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think he does. I think they're, they're, they much prefer using the top three guys on the depth chart rather than Keenan. But then Keenan's speed is so intriguing that I'm not sure why they won't use him a little bit more than they have already. You know, why is it just in injury situations? Are we seeing, you know, one of the fastest players in California? Uh, you know, it just, I, I'm curious how the rotation evolves, even with injuries going forward. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I got a voicemail. You want me to play this one now? Sure. All right, let's do that. Yeah. Hi, Ryan. It's Andrew from San Diego. And I was just curious when Helton is interviewed and he says, I got to be honest with you. We need to move the chains or I got to be honest with you. Does that mean he's lying to us every time he doesn't say, I got to be honest with you? Or is it just a nervous tick? I mean, is he searching in his mind for an answer and just trying to delay what he's uh, really thinking? I don't know. Do you have any insight into that? Thanks. That's funny. Um, so if, you, if you've ever taken like a public speaking course or uh, seminar or anything, I did way back when I was an engineer, uh, but I w- I'd have to do presentations. And you'd have to get in front of people. So they would, we took this, there was like kind of the seminar thing and they would film you like up on stage talking to people. And it's funny when you record yourself and listen back. And obviously we do this a lot now because we're on podcasts. There's going to be general, you know, bridge words that you say. Uh, you could say, um, like just like, uh, you're just, it's sort of like getting you from one thought to the other. Some people say like all the time. Uh, they'll do, uh, like I just did. There's, there's things like that to get you through. And then there's other ones that are like almost like phrases, like, you know what I mean? Like, so someone, you might talk to someone like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And they just say that like kind of over and over again. Clay Hilton does that with, I got to, you know, let me be honest with you. Um, that's just one of his things that he does. Does it get annoying? Yeah, I understand. Like that stuff like that can kind of get annoying. And do you feel like, well, you're not being honest with me with the other times. 
Um, it's just like, really, I'm, what I'm telling you is true. Like it, when someone says, let me be honest with you, that makes me wonder if they're lying to me right then as opposed to, other, but that's not a, there's nothing nefarious in my opinion going on there. It's just one of those things he uses to get from one thought to another. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Keely. Well, first off, Andrew also tweeted me about this. So he's very passionate about this phrase that Clayton is using. But no, I think it's just it's just a tick. It's, people do that all the time when you're talking so much. I'm sure everyone on this podcast who listens to it knows mine. <laughs> but, you know, it just exactly I say, you know, but uh when you're trans when you're transcribing all these coaches and players, you tend to know everyone's little transition words and ticks. I know Graham Harrell says you know almost every two words. <laughs> so yes. it's just a thing that people do. And I think Clay Helton tries to be tries to come across as genuine and nice. And so that's just something he says. I don't really read into it. I know as someone who also talks a lot, I try not to be critical in that sense just because we all do it and it just it's a thing, you know. I it's just I think it's something that he's picked up more so this season than prior seasons, but I'm not reading too much into it. Yeah, I wouldn't put too much uh, into this one. Um, so it's just one of those things Clay Helton does, and uh, we just you know all the coaches do it. Like Healy said, they do a little something, a little something different. We all I think everyone does. Anyone you talk to, it's you know, it's like whatever it is, you have those words, you have those little phrases that people use, and so it's just one of those you kind of get used to. You're like, yep, exactly. We have an email from L.A. Fred, Ryan, who says he doesn't want to be like Curtis from go full Curtis from Marino Valley, but he okay. kind of touches on the same theme, so I'll, I'll let you be the judge. So he says, Dear Ryan and Keeley, I'm not going to go full optimist like Curtis from Marino Valley, but can we all just be happy and enjoy the signs of improvement we saw from the defense, in particular last night, meaning the Utah game? The D-line, specifically Marlon T. and Nick Figueroa, were dominating all over in the backfield, create, creating havoc. The linebackers and safeties were playing faster, attacking, and making tackles across the field. Drake Jackson just making big plays. Drake London and Brew McCoy are going to be stars. Keenan Kirsten has speed to burn and needs more touches. How about the tight end usage in the passing game siding? Parker Lewis hitting all his kicks and also not allowing any kickoff returns. How often has USC won the special teams game versus anyone lately, much less Utah? Now, sure, there are plenty of areas that are still in need of big improvement, but can't we just occasionally recognize players making great plays? USC is 3-0. Remember, it could always be worse. We could be Penn State at 0-5. Fight on and beat the Buffalo LA Fred. Yeah, Fred, I think it's a good email, and there's some definite reasons for optimism. I think I started off the show talking about a lot of that stuff. Um, there's you know, there's reasons to be optimistic about things that got better. There's some things that weren't great. It's a weird year. You know, at the end of the day, you're 3-0. and Are you going to make the college football playoff? No. But, you, you know, you try to look good in the last few games. You hope you get them all in and, uh, and keep pushing. And, you know, it would mean something to win a Pac-12 championship game. I don't, I'm not going to put a lot of stock into winning the Pac-12 South, um, you know, especially when Arizona and Utah are the teams that are having the most COVID problems in the division. So there's three, you know, three teams you thought would be fighting for the division title, and two of them are getting crushed by COVID, and USC is the other one. And, well, USC could potentially, you know, that could happen too. But um, so I, I'm not going to give like a ton of credit for winning the Pac-12 South. But I think if you win the Pac-12 and you're able to beat like an Oregon or Washington or somebody in a championship game, I think that would be significant so we'll go from there he you know he brought up something in there keely about you know we talk about the linebackers and safeties playing and attacking all that stuff um you know definitely love the way the defensive line is playing marlon tui peloto is making himself some money and nick figueroa <laughs> is playing well as well yeah the tight end thing um you know both of slovis's picks were targeting tight ends they've been off you know they, they do have a couple touchdowns um but to me it's just not I've not been happy with the production from that position. They targeted a little bit more in this game, but still not much. Um, I think the blocking, if you look at the PFF grades, it just not been great from that position. Would you have any thoughts on how the, the tight ends are being used and playing? It's when the offense isn't like clicking like it normally would be, um, you know, maybe it better, but with the offense kind of struggling at times, it, to me, this is a position that seems to be struggling a little bit too. 
Yeah, it's it's hard because we heard such hype about them coming into the season. You know, John David Baker, the tight ends coach, was saying that Keaton Slovis was looking to them on critical downs in practice, and then you come into the game and or the season, and it just doesn't seem like that fully translated. I know Eric Cromenhook uh, is now USC's two and zero when Eric Cromenhook scores a touchdown. So who knows? Maybe that's a good luck charm. But the thing that I don't fully how much this weighs into it, Ryan, is it just doesn't seem like Keaton Slovis is comfortable throwing over the middle. And I believe that interception happened when he was targeting a tight end, correct? Yeah, it was a uh, chroma. It was sort of, they weren't on the same page. It was like kind of behind him or whatever. And, but yeah, it was, he, uh, it was a tight end. Yeah. So I just feel like how much is that influencing it where Keaton doesn't even want to like make that read? I'm not sure, but also a, a problem too, is that, the personnel is a little wonky right now because Jude Wolf has had an ankle injury uh, for the last two weeks, which we didn't fully know about, but shotgun asked about it in Helton Sunday night press conference. So if you look at Jude Wolf's snap count, he it's actually been decreasing. He had 58 snaps against Arizona state actually played more than Eric Cromenhook. So it looked like, Torch was kind of being passed to the younger guy, but then he only had 34 snaps against Arizona, and then he only played four downs against Utah. So his uh, reps are decreasing. Eric Cromanhook, he's a good blocker at times, and yet I'm not sure how much he's there for as a receiving threat. And then everyone wants to know, well, where's Josh Philo? Well, he wasn't in football shape, according to John David Baker. He, I think he didn't come back. Uh, fast enough, I believe. And then uh, we get word from, from Clay Helton on Sunday that Josh Follow had uh, a baby girl, so congrats to him. So he's just now returning back with the team again. So he's not fully there yet, so they're really going to have to lean on uh, Eric Cromanhook if they want to go with that traditional tight end role. And I feel like Talking to Graham Harrell, he much he seems like he'd rather go for a more tight uh, a Drake London inside receiver type role uh, in the passing game rather than heavily lean on a tight end in the passing game. That's what the read I get, Ryan. But I just I don't know. It's just been such an underutilized uh, position group just over the past couple seasons, Ryan. So I don't know if we I can really see that changing, especially with the the personnel issues that are happening right now. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think we wouldn't be talking about as much if the offense was looking like more like it was last year. There's there's definitely some issues. There's some slowest issues. I don't want to put it all on him. I think there's some issues with the tight end spot. There's some you know problems with the offensive line. You get a couple running backs banged up again. So there, there's definitely been some hit or miss. But, you know, 335 yards uh, of offense, at least the other games, they were like, you know, you know, a lot more than that. And, uh, you're maybe not scoring as much as you would like. So we'll see going forward, uh, what this position does, but that's, that's one of the areas of concern I would watch for. It's just like, it just seems like production wise, you're not getting exactly what you would need out of those guys. And like Keely said, we heard a lot about them, you know, bring it, you have a new tight ends coach and all that. And you thought that this was going to be, uh, you know, a more effective position and so far. I don't think it has been. Yeah. And yeah, I was, yeah, I'll just move on to the next email. Yeah. Uh, we have a new one from Mike from Full Shear, Texas, who says, uh, three games in, I have to ask, was everyone quick to anoint Graham Harrell an offensive genius? Don't get me wrong. This offense is definitely better than the gumbo offense. And at times I wonder about Keaton's arm health, but we seem to have some serious scheme issues. Jumping over our previous week's inability on fourth and one uh, to keep Steph from getting hit deep in our own backfield, it seems like we have an awful lot of slow developing plays that require our offense our offensive line to hold their blocks for a long time. Do our receivers have that difficult of a time getting separation? Admittedly, it was against man coverage, but on Tyler Vaughn's touchdown catch, I was shocked how quick he was open and how fast the play developed. As as usually, I feel I could cook brisket between the snap of the ball and when Keen finally dumps it off. Love all the USCFootball.com podcast. Mike from Full Shear, Texas. Yeah. Um, I want brisket now. I, I'm a little hungry. I could do a little, you know. <laughs> uh, Something's not the same, and yeah. I'm not exactly sure what it is. And I think Gerard had a theory about mm-hmm. talking about like, hey, they've got more film on you, and they kind of know what works and what doesn't. And there's a good thing to have a simplistic offense that you can teach everybody in three spring practices and then go it o- go over it o- again and again. But there's also, I mean, you could make it easier to defend and part of it might be what defenses are doing now it's a little bit different you you've got an off season to look at what Keaton Slovis was able to do you know the one is a benefit to USC at bringing the whole offense back basically and 
the same coaches and the same players and all of that same scheme. But then your film study, you're going to know, you know, more of what these players are going to do. And I think you're seeing a little bit of that as well, but there's, I think if Keaton Slovis was as sharp as we've seen him in years past, then you wouldn't be worrying about this as much, but I think it's sort of a combination of a bunch of smaller things. One of them being how Slovis is playing, you know, people having more film on them and understanding what they could do to, to slow down the, the air raid a little bit. You try to maybe take away the big plays and, and, you know, eventually USC is going to make a mistake and you get them to punt. Um, what, or, or, you know, you, the, the field gets constricted in the red zone and it's going to be harder to score, whatever it is. I think there's like a combination of, of stuff going on there, but I like Graham Harold's. I know people are, some people are critical of it. I just like an offense that's competent. And I think he has a, a competent scheme. If it's figured out by defenses and there's really, he doesn't have any other tricks out, uh, up his sleeve. That's going to be a problem. I don't think that's the case. Um, I'm not going to say, you know, uh, this isn't, this isn't working anymore. This is a mistake. I think he's a good offensive coordinator. I think he has run a great offense last year and has the potential to do it again this year and and for years to come if, if he sticks around. So it's, it's a real system where the gumbo that, that uh, Mike mentioned was not like, that was just like, we have to have an offense and there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. There's at least a, a comprehensive plan that there's reasons for everything you're doing. There's not, I'm going to do a little of this. I'm going to do a little of that. You know, could they put guys under center and, uh, and do a package like that? They could, but that's not what he does. He has a very, um, you know, directed approach and he's going to do everything in the, everything in the offense is like related to each other. And it's going to be directed at what the ultimate goal is. And I like that you're focused. It's a focused offense and it's not going to be trying to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that to to make everybody happy. So I think it's a good scheme. I have no problems with it. You can argue, is that a national championship winning scheme, whatever they needed something that was like, you know, decidedly better than what they had. And I think they have that. Uh, in this offense. Yeah. And we've heard it so much. Even I asked Clay Helton, you know, he mentioned uh, rhythm issues. And I was like, why do you think it's just been out of sync? And he said, oh, they were behind the chains and stuff like that. But I I really think it's just because it's an edge execution based offense your quarterback has to be confident in where he's placing the ball and what what he's doing and it just doesn't seem like Slovis is really confident in his arm right now and where he's placing the ball and according to PFF he was one of the most accurate passers last season so the fact that he doesn't feel comfortable to zip a ball over the middle or where because even today in, in, in USC's press conference Clay Helton mentioned three uh, plays where Slovis looked really confident in, in throwing the ball, but it was plays that were more uh, out toward the, toward the boundary towards away from safeties where there's going to be double coverage. And so it just seems like he's not confident and you can't have an air raid attack. If your quarterback, the guy who's making the air raid raid, if you will, is not confident in where he's putting the ball. And, and, and I'm still TBD on whether it's Keen Slovis is injured, whether it's in his head, I, I I haven't fully made that determination yet, and I don't think we can if we can't see practice. So I just think it's it's clunky because I don't think we'll be, we would be talking about this as much if Keaton Slovis didn't look off. You know, it's just kind of clunky, and I think that's because Slovis is, is a little off. I don't think it's Slovis's fault that he's off. I think there's a lot riding on his shoulders right now. But and the and the problem too, Ryan, is that we're not seeing practice. I wish we could be like, hey, he looks great in practice. It's it's in his head or it's this or it's that, you know, it just having so many unknowns, I think puts more pressure on Slovis each week to then perform. You know, he said after the Utah game, when I asked like, does this put pressure on you? He said, you know, I'm just going to have it motivate me. So it's just a weird thing, Ryan with Slovis and all the different answers we're getting. But I do think that's why there's just so much more uh, eyes on how this offense is functioning. Cause it just doesn't seem like Keaton Slovis is really comfortable in what he's doing right now. Yeah. There's, there's just that comfortability. It doesn't seem as comfortable. And that's, I think that's the way you kind of go, have to go with it. So we'll see uh, going forward how comfortable he gets. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately it's a short season. So you don't have a lot of time to, to kind of get things right. If things aren't kind of clicking in the beginning, it's uh it's going to be a little tougher to, to get him rolling. So we'll see uh, how he looks the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one more from 
Uh, one more email, and it's from Jim from Newport, who says, Hello, Ryan and Keely. First, I just want to say how much I miss Stan Weber and his unique analysis. We do, too. Uh, do you think he might be on as an occasional guest? Also, Ryan, I was curious about your technique for frying turkeys. Do you use a certain kind of oil, or do you use uh, an oilless fryer? What type of fryer do you use? Do you brine the turkey? Thank you for all you do to bring us the latest USC football news. Jim from Newport. Thank you, Jim. Jim, it's the kind of question I like. You know, this is what we're talking about. <laughs> Uh, I've done, so I've done a bunch of different things. I Thanksgiving to me as an East coaster coming to USC, uh, I sort of started tradition in college when I was at USC to have like a orphan Thanksgiving. So I wouldn't have, I couldn't, you know, afford to go back home at Thanksgiving time and then go again at Christmas. So we would have Thanksgiving out here on the West coast, like in a dorm or apartment or whatever. And I would usually make a Turkey in the oven and like have anyone that couldn't go home for Thanksgiving. Usually a pretty desolate place around USC, Keeley. I know you're local, so it wasn't as, as big of a deal for you, but um, there's not <laughs> yeah. that many people around for Thanksgiving weekend, you know? Um, so we'd have some people over. And, so, and I, so I've always been a Thanksgiving Day host, like ever since college. It's sort of been my, like my like tradition or whatever. I don't usually travel. Uh, I usually just host it at home and have people from the neighborhood, whatever, friends, whatever, coming over. Um, but like 12 years ago or so, I can't remember what it was. We were doing tailgating, and it was our, our buddy Dano, showed me like the deep fried turkey thing. And it was awesome. Uh, I bought one then. I have the same fryer now. It's basically just like a stand with a, a burner on it. And you have this huge pot. And you can put up to about a 15-pound turkey in there. And you buy, I go to like Smart and Final and buy peanut oil. It seems to work best for deep fried turkey. And you need like five gallons of it or four. I forget, Maybe it's three. I don't know. It's one of those big jugs uh, of it. And you can almost fill up the, uh, the pot. And you, you know, you heat up the the oil and you want to get it to, you want to fry it at 350, but as soon as you put the turkey in, it goes down. So I try to get it up to like 375. You don't want to go over 400 because then you can have a fire. Um, and then when you put the turkey in, it'll, the oil will drop down. So you got to play with the burner, try to get it up higher. And once it gets to 350, you can turn it down. So it'll stay around there. So it's sort of like a, a little art form to doing that um, when you're doing it with the turkey. But you, you know, you, it's only about 45 minutes or so or less uh, to fry the turkey. So it's pretty quick. And uh, to prepare it, I usually, I like getting, um, you know, the, I get a little syringe that has a mixture of like butter and white wine in there and maybe a little garlic salt. And you inject the meat uh, with the, the wine and the butter and the, and the garlic salt uh, around there. So that kind of keeps it real juicy. And uh, I've, I've brined them sometimes. Sometimes I don't. It just depends. Um, you don't have to, but you know, it, it, I think for, if you're going to do it in the oven, brining, it's probably a little bit better. You don't really need to as much when you're doing the frying, but yeah, you, uh, I inject it and, uh, put it in there. You can't do stuffing and everything cause you're frying it. So you can't, you know, you can't do that, but so stuffing has to be separate, but it comes out great. I mean, it's all, everyone always loves it. It's super juicy. And, uh, yeah, that's my favorite thing. Very nice. I think the first year I was interning for you Ryan back in the day you like decided to periscope your frying your turkey frying experience so now I'm like just associate you with fried turkeys and just Thanksgiving in general so it was just kind of like oh okay my boss is doing this turkey thing so so now now I associate you with it so it's funny yeah I, I think I set up the camera like a you know yeah I think it was like a periscope or something I've done it before it's neat just to see the turkey put into the oil and there's always people are like oh you could set everything on fire yeah don't put a frozen turkey in 450 degree oil and just drop it in there even you know with the um room temperature turkey you have it on this uh little hanger thing um and you basically have to you kind of test your upper body strength because you have to lower it in slowly so as you just kind of drop it in slowly inch by inch, it starts bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. So that's what, what you kind of see on the periscope, I think. But as you drop it, you can't just drop it in. It'll like oil will go everywhere. You have to really do it slow. So you're like holding this, you know, 15 pound turkey by one arm and just kind of slowly dropping it in. But I use like uh, asbestos gloves or some kind of gloves. What I forget, they're, they're like heat resistant gloves and stuff that helps. And, you know, don't be in flip flops and shorts. Like, you know, try to have long pants on because oil is going to splatter and have it, you know, don't do it inside, you know, just don't be dumb. Like you see people like, oh, they burned down your house. Like well, we should be doing it outside. You shouldn't be doing it inside your house. Um, yeah. And put people like, yeah, drop a frozen turkey in like super hot oil and see what happens. It'll go crazy. That's not what you want to do. You want room temperature and slowly into the oil. That's not over 400 degrees. Well done. Very yeah. nice. 
public service. What a, what a Thanksgiving-y question to end the pod with. I like that, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Keely, any uh, any final thoughts? You always ask me. I'll ask you. That's my thing. Uh, well, we didn't address <laughs> we, we didn't address the Dan question, but of course. Oh, we I'm sorry. Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. So what was the? As far as being be an occasional or... guest, yeah. yeah. Um, I think in the 2021 season that would be a possibility. This, I think, this one was going to be more about, um, you know, he's moving, you know, moving back uh, to his family. It's a weird season. I, I think he's, he's, we're seeing him a little bit more on Twitter right now. He's doing a little bit more of that, but I think he was just sort of like removing himself as for, I mean, I think sometimes you just have to do that. Just mentally, you need to remove yourself from a situation. So I think that's what he was doing. Um, and I think in 2021, my guess would be, he'd be more open to coming on the occasional podcast or whatever, or maybe writing a guest column. I, you know, that would be great. We would love that. So hopefully that's something he'll consider. But I, I think it would be more of a next year kind of thing. Yeah. It's it's up to him. We would love to have him do whatever he wants to do. So Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But any other final thoughts? I, I don't know, Ryan. It's just this week, stay tuned to USCfootball.com because it will be evolving as we've seen with other schools in their COVID situation. I believe Wazoo was on the tarmac and then <laughs> went back because the game got canceled. So you never know. Stay tuned. It's evolving. And hopefully for USC's sake, uh, it's not a big deal and everything gets contained and everyone's healthy. That's, you know, hundred percent. And, uh, we're, you know, we, we're not going to do a tunnel vision show this week. It's not because of the COVID. We weren't worried about that. We were just, cause it's Thanksgiving. So we were going to skip it anyway. So it's not because we have inside baseball information about what's going to happen with the game. Um, still planning, unless something changes, to do a preview podcast with Adam Munster Tiger. does a great job covering the Colorado Buffaloes. So we'll do that as well. Um, so we'll keep rolling. And like Keely said, we'll have to wait and see. We might not know something until Thanksgiving. We'll see. But we'll uh, keep you updated. Make sure you check out uscfootball.com for all the latest info on that. But for Keely Yor, I am Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.